Welcome to Irish Passport. Uh, let's do it. Welcome to the Irish Passport. I'm Tim McInerney. I'm Naomi O'Leary. We're friends. Okay, well to Naomi. Anwar Fad Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. three. Okay. Hello listeners and welcome to a very special bonus election episode of the Irish Passport Podcast. I know we already finished up for season three, but we couldn't resist running back to the microphones today because there's a, an Irish general election that has just disrupted a century of political traditions on the island. The final results, as you might be able to hear, are still coming in as we record, but it's already clear that this election has changed all the rules of Irish politics. And for the first time in generations, the two main parties in the Republic have lost their iron grip on the country and are coming face to face with a major new rival in Sinn Féin. Uh, so listeners, you might be wondering about that hubbub, and that is because, Naomi, you are coming to us straight from the RDS Count Centre in Dublin, where the votes are still being tallied. So can you tell us what the mood's been like over there? Okay, so just to describe the scene, the RDS is like a massive warehouse, and it's filled with tables, trestle tables, and all the boxes of votes are being upturned out onto the tables and being counted by hand. Um, and there's political activists of every stripe looking on. Uh, every now and again, a candidate comes in, and it's, you know there's huge cheers when they appear and you know every, every now and again then the announcer calls out some some results and we find out who's been elected so it's kind of an electric scene and it's like a very uh, visual demonstration of democracy taking place there's hundreds of people here all taking part in it it's really it's really exciting so what's the main takeaway what have you observed so far uh, over there in the rds so the main story of the election is the rise of Sinn Féin as soon as i arrived down this morning there was this sort of fevered atmosphere here uh, and sense that everything was shifting. This was a totally unprecedented election like nothing had seen before. Essentially, as soon as the boxes were opened and they started tallying up the first preference votes, it became clear that Sinn Féin candidate after Sinn Féin candidate were coming first. They were winning far more votes, in fact, than anyone else. It's an absolutely unprecedented surge. And what's been happening wow. is that a series of Sinn Féin politicians have been appearing at the Count Centre, just causing you know rapturous scenes as they appear, cheers and songs. Mm. You heard some of them singing there. That was as the Sinn Féin candidate, Angus O'Snuddy, arrived. Um, and the, the song they were singing is O Roche de Avalia, which is an old rebel song. It was uh, famously sung by the rebels of 1916. I, I fought through the, the throngs to speak with Desi Ellis. He's a, a former prisoner for his involvement with the Provisional Irish Republican Army, and he just topped the poll in Dublin Northwest. So, what do you think is behind this sudden surge? Well, a, a big push for change from ordinary people, and um, 
that they've they've listened to us. So we, you know, we've listened to them, and uh, now people want change, and they're sick and tired of the politics of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, the Tweedledum and Tweedledee of politics. And now we're into a different era where there is alternatives there, and we have shown to the people that we can be an alternative. And it's a, I mean, it's a big journey that you've come on. You know, in the past you were a prisoner, you were involved in that aspect of the struggle. And I suppose that reflects the broader journey of the party as well. Um, what, what are your feelings about it, looking at potentially going into government now? Well, I'm very proud of, of where we are now. It, it's been, it's very, you know, it's really fantastic. But it's down to teamwork and teamwork. My own team has done massive, massive work, and uh, we've been out on the ground. We've been literally in the communities, and um, th- this is the end result. And on top of that, we have a lot of young people, new people voting for us who see us as a real alternative and I think for international observers of this election the big question for them is are we looking at a referendum on unity in the short to medium term what do you think well we've we've said that that and we want to see an assembly or uh, set up in some way uh, to plan for Irish unity and we'd like to see it in the term of this government or the, whatever government is made up um, hopefully we ha- we are given an alternative there to form a government but we'll wait and see what materialises with the votes. Would you go in with Fianna Fáil? Well look we first off we don't know what to, you know we have uh, certainly made it clear Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are very toxic and you know, they said they won't dance with us. But we'll see when the results come out where we stand. OK, so as you heard there, this one word has really dominated the election campaign since, you know, weeks before the vote. And that word is change. Of course, it's this windfall for Sinn Féin has capitalised on a general wind of change that has been sweeping the country since the last time voters went to the polls in uh, 2016. Uh, Since then, the country's political landscape has been totally transformed. Uh, Firstly, the two landmark referendums on equal marriage in 2015 and abortion access in 2018 uh, saw a huge rise in political engagement among younger people. And that energy has continued to snowball. People are increasingly demanding change across a spectrum of social and economic policy, and that has had huge impact on traditional voting patterns. Uh, Secondly, of course, there is a fallout from those three years of Brexit chaos that we've lived through, which have brought some old issues into really sharp focus, uh, most particularly, of course, the question of the border and Northern Ireland's future in the UK. And thirdly, there is the ongoing housing crisis, uh, which has seen homelessness in Ireland reach heights never seen before, So there is serious discontent in some sections of Irish society right now, especially as regards access to affordable housing, healthcare and public services. So throughout this campaign, there was a palpable sentiment among the public that, you know, business as usual with the two main parties was just not good enough uh, anymore. Right. But there's something really important to remember here. So this is a proportional representation system with a massively fragmented electorate. That makes it really hard for any one party to gain a big majority. It's not clear that any one party is going to easily be able to form a government. Sinn Féin were taken by surprise completely by how well they've done. So they only ran 42 candidates. That's way, way short of the 80 candidates that you need to form a majority in Parliament. Things are made more complex by the fact that during the campaign, the two other major parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, said they would refuse to go into coalition with Sinn Féin if it came to it. Now, of course, every, everything can change in politics. Um, Fine Gael seemed to be sticking to that promise, uh, but 
there are signs Fianna Fáil is softening and the bookies odds now are that the most likely outcome is going to be a coalition between Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin. I heard Mary Lou as she spoke to media earlier here in the RDS and she said that she's already reached out to small left-wing parties to try and form a government of the left altogether but the, rest, the other left-wing parties are so small it looks like the arithmetic could be very difficult to do that. Okay, right. So uh, before we go any further, we should maybe set out the main players here. Uh, so since 1922, Ireland has been governed by either Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, um, or previous incarnations of those parties. Um, those two parties emerged from the Civil War uh, in 1922-23, uh, so they don't necessarily fall into a traditionally left-right um, spectrum. If you want to hear more about how those parties came into being, by the way, uh, you can always go back and check out our episode, all about that, on civil war politics from season two. So Fine Gael has been the head of a minority government tw since 2016. Um, it would be described as the most more socially liberal party, but the more economically conservative party. So essentially that means it prides itself on keeping taxes low and spending tight, but it's also overseen some of Ireland's most socially liberal reforms, especially in recent years. The leader of the party, Leo Varadkar, replaced the former Taoiseach Enda Kenny in 2017 by winning an internal party leadership election. So this is actually the first time he's fought a national election. As leader. A Fine Gael, like practically all parties in the Republic, are in favour of Irish unity, uh, but they're generally seen as less enthusiastic about that prospect than their rivals. Historically, they come from the pro-treaty tradition, which uh, prioritised economic success in the Republic above all, really. Um, they do have some shadowy skeletons in their closet. Uh, the party was formed in 1933 when the pro-treaty Common Nagale party merged with the infamous Blue Shirts. That was a fascist paramilitary organisation back then. Its main leader was a man named Ono Duffy. He was an admirer of Mussolini, who uh, later actually raised an Irish brigade to go and fight for Franco during the Spanish Civil War. So um, Fine Gael are still sometimes nicknamed the Blue Shirts in reference to that rather embarrassing stain on their history. Uh, but of course, the modern party is very, very different to what it was in the 30s. And interestingly, uh, considering its original pro-treaty stance, it was Fine Gael who actually passed the Declaration of the Republic of Ireland in 1948, which uh, removed any lingering traces of British rule and took Ireland out of the Commonwealth. Yes, and of course, if you ask anyone from Fine Gael, they'll say that they're the real Republicans and the real patriots, um, you know, because they're not reckless and um, they've distanced themselves hmm. from the violent Republican tradition to the extent that, you know, they think that peaceful, peaceful um, pursuance of the idea of unity is the more realistic way to go and the more sort of patriotic thing to do. Um, but then, mm -hmm. of course, there's Fianna Fáil, uh, which has historically been the most prominent Irish political party since independence. Fianna Fáil are essentially less shy of public spending and traditionally more socially conservative than Fine Gael. Um, in the past, it was a broad church, a kind of all-society party that really reflected the norms of the day. It was founded by the Easter Rising veteran Eamon de Valera after he and his followers split from the original Sinn Féin party back in 1926. Lots of the original founding members also came from the 1916 Rising, including Constance Markovic. This was the party that introduced the current Irish constitution back in 1937 and has produced some of Ireland's most iconic leaders, such as Sean Lamass and Charlie Haughey. But the financial crash of 2008 saw a dramatic reversal in fortunes for the party. Uh, Fianna Fáil was largely blamed for the economic catastrophe of those years and it's, it's been struggling to recover ever since. The current leader is a man called Micheál Martin. 
He facilitated um, Leo Varadkar in government in what's called a confidence and supply arrangement, essentially voting or abstaining in whatever votes were needed to stop the government from falling since 2016. Here's how he described the modern Fianna Fáil party to me a few days before the vote. Well, it's a centre, I think it's a, it's a left of centre party. Um, there are many centre... It's gr- new now. There's m- many centre-grown parties. No, it's not actually. Uh, I mean, historically, if you look at the European norms, Fianna Fáil it was the party that brought in free education. Uh, Fianna Fáil led state companies and established them in terms of key areas where there was deficits in terms of transport, in terms of Borden Amona, in terms of other uh, semi-states. But we are a pro-enterprise party, so we've been a centre-grown party. We would have been a catch-all party in the early years uh, because Irish politics didn't fit neatly into a left-right divide. Nor, by the way, should it, in my view. I don't believe in the idea of one you're either left and then right and then you're the one choice for one extreme versus the other. In Europe, you have quite a number of centre-ground parties who compete in elections. And that's, I think, where Ireland is heading. We're, we're in a more fragmented electoral landscape now than we would have been historically. Then we come to the new major player in this election, Sinn Féin. Um, The original Sinn Féin party was established way back in 1905, right at the height of Ireland's independence movement. Uh, But that party was rather different to the one that we call Sinn Féin today. The original Sinn Féin, weirdly enough, wanted to establish a dual monarchy between Ireland and Britain, with Ireland gaining home rule under the British crown. Uh, But after the 1916 rising, that party shifted their position to republicanism, and that saw them win a landslide 1918 election, which would become the democratic justification for the Irish War of Independence. Uh, Fascinatingly, one of the reasons behind that landslide victory in 1918 was that thousands of young people at the time were unable to emigrate because of the First World War. Um, So there were all these young voters in Ireland that wouldn't normally have been there. And that really brings up some striking parallels to the current election, which also saw significant support for Sinn Féin among the young. Fascinating. Um, Now, of course, Sinn Féin in its modern iteration is rather different. Uh, In the 1970s, that original Sinn Féin party split in two, essentially over the issues of abstentionism and paramilitary action during the Troubles. This was when the Sinn Féin party as we know it came into being. Internationally, it was for decades known as the political voice of the IRA and its historical association with armed struggle against British rule in Northern Ireland during the conflict uh, made it something of a fringe party until very recently. Uh, Nowadays, they stand for election in both Northern Ireland and the Republic, but they don't actually take their seats in Westminster according to its founding principle of abstention from the British governance of Northern Ireland. The fact that Sinn Féin is already in government across the border in Northern Ireland brings a really interesting dynamic to this, I think, Um, because even if it hasn't been a major player in the Dáil until now, its role in Stormont has nonetheless made it one of Ireland's primary political players for years. Uh, So until fairly recently, uh, Sinn Féin would have been really taboo for large sections of society in the Republic because of its close associations with uh, terrorism in the past. And for a lot of people, that's still the case. Um, There are people in both North and South who would flatly refuse to ever vote for Sinn Féin because of those historical associations. Uh, Here's one of those voters speaking to Naomi in North Dublin. I wouldn't like to see Sinn Féin uh, get into power, I think. Uh, we have to have a good economy and we have to have the businesses, the Americans coming in and they probably should be paying more tax. And, but I, I feel the um, uh, has turned it all around and I mean Sinn Féin I think want to give everything to everybody. 
However, 20 years on from the Good Friday Agreement, the Sinn Féin party has a new leader, Mary Lou Macdonald, who has rather successfully rebranded the party as a peaceful left-wing pro-unity party for North and South. Uh, you might remember Mary Lou from our interview with her on this podcast back in uh, 2018, which you can hear in our Season 2 episode on nationalism. This election is absolutely seismic for Sinn Féin. Um, so essentially, it is an extension of a prior trend. Since 2007, it's been steadily increasing its votes in each general election by championing left-wing economic policies and socially liberal issues. But this time round really is an unprecedented breakthrough. The exit poll indicates this party is the most popular party now among all voters except the over 65s, which is just an incredible result. Um, their defining issue in the election hasn't been unity, it's been housing, a shortage of housing and soaring rents that's seen record homelessness and prevented younger generations from getting a start in life or being able to start families themselves. Sinn Féin promised a rent freeze and the biggest public housing building programme in the history of the state and this platform appears to have paid off. Now we mustn't forget that in addition to these three main players there are a whole host of independents and smaller parties. Uh, most notable in this election are the Green Party who are the biggest gainers apart from Sinn Féin and they look set to increase their seats from two to more than ten this time around. But first, let's have a look at how the election has changed the game. So counting is still going on um, right behind me as I speak. We have very few results so far and we probably won't for some time. But what it's looking like is that we'll have a three-way split uh, with Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin having some comparable amount of seats, but neither of them having enough to easily form a majority. Okay, so considering that in the weeks leading up to the vote, uh, some of these parties ha basically swore never to work with some of the other parties, uh, it looks like the formation of the future government is going to be a long and difficult process. So Naomi, what are the options on the table for this? As I say, the bookmakers think the most likely outcome at this point is Sinn Féin teaming up with Fianna Fáil. Now, of course, Fianna Fáil said they wouldn't do that during the election campaign. Um, however, since uh, the exit poll has come out and the extent of the support of Sinn Féin has become apparent, you can hear some Fianna Fáil lawmakers kind of rowing back and softening from that position. And it is difficult to sustain if Sinn Féin is as, is as popular as the exit poll shows. You know, if this is the number one party for everyone except for pensioners, how can you justify excluding them from government? And also the exit poll showed another interesting figure, which was that it was very po unpopular among voters that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil had taken that position of excluding Sinn Féin. That doesn't look like a vote winner for them. Um, so what it's looking like now is I was speaking to some um, uh, people in, in Fine Gael circles and the sense among them is that they feel like perhaps what's best for the party now is a period in opposition. So what I would expect is Michal Martin, the leader of Fianna Fáil, to make the first steps in trying to form a coalition. Now, Mary Lou Macdonald says she's going to try to put something together with left-wing parties, and she may well, you know, give a chance to do that. But perhaps the most viable government that we're going to be looking at is going to be Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin, which would be historic. It would be the first time that Sinn Féin has ever been in government in the Republic. It would be fascinating. And even uh, more interestingly, I think it's a good moment perhaps to listen to what Michal Martin said about Sinn Féin just a few days ago. <laughs> I have two issues with Sinn Féin. Um, I think I have a moral issue in terms of how they continue to, to defend and endorse the atrocities of the past and the idea that the IRA campaign of 40 years was somehow just and yet Sinn Féin wants to create a new narrative around that which I think is dangerous and poisonous to younger generations but 
uh, and I think they need to come clean on that um, and acknowledge what has happened. But also, economically, Sinn Féin are very anti-enterprise and have an anti-EU instinct. I mean, they've been against every single... They voted against and campaigned against every single European Union treaty. They campaigned against membership of Labour, but even up to the present day, they've been campaigning. They, they adopt a very anti-EU stance on most issues, even to the point of blaming the European Union for the partition of the Ukraine. Um, and I think that's a part of their uh, political persona that hasn't really been focused on. Uh, you know, they've, they've supported regimes like Venezuela, Maduro, and so on, and, and, and all that has emerged there. Um, and uh, I think their foreign policy is very questionable. Now, while all this is going on, of course, I, I presume that someone is going to have to keep things running in the Irish government, uh, especially when it comes to you know, more urgent and unpredictable stuff like Brexit. Uh, so I take it then that the Fine Gael minority government is going to continue to look after things while all this is, is sorted out as long as it takes? Yes, essentially, yes. Um, of course, we are currently in the period that Fine Gael calls the half-time period of Brexit. The UK has exited. It's in a transitional arrangement which maintains current rules with the EU, but the future relationship has to be negotiated um, and there's only a year to do it. And the, the stakes for Ireland are massive. This could really make or break the Irish economy. Um, the talks are expected to begin in March, so there's really very little time for the government to get up and running. Um, I spoke to the Taunashta or Deputy Prime Minister Simon Coveney in the days leading up to the election and he explained that Ireland wouldn't be left without a government in this period. Things would essentially continue to be handled by the people who are currently in place. If there is a drawn out government negotiation process to form that government, uh, which, which could take a month or six weeks, the way in which it works is if there is no government to take over, then the existing government stays. Now, obviously, that's not a sustainable position for months and months and months, um, but certainly for the month of February, uh, if the current government needs to remain in order to finalize a mandate, I'm sure there would be consultation with other uh, party leaders to try to get that right, because you know, every, every time we've taken a serious decision on Brexit, we've consulted with, with the other political parties, and that's the way it'll continue. Given that there has been that cross-party kind of solidarity on Brexit. What, what prospect is there really for change if, if the government does change? I imagine the negotiating position is going to be the same. Oh yeah, but you, know, you, you don't get a result by forming a negotiating position. You get a result by negotiation and relationships uh, and holding your nerve uh, and pushing the right buttons at the right time. Um, you know, like negotiations, political negotiations at a senior level like that are, are about how you manage lots and lots of competing demands and pressures at the same time. Uh, and undoubtedly that's going to be the case between now and the summer because we know that we can't get a full future relationship done by the end of the year. So we're going to have to prioritise what can be done by the end of the year. Presumably that's going to be a basic free trade agreement, it'll be a fisheries agreement, it'll probably be a data and security agreement, but many other things may need to have contingency, temporary arrangements put in place while the negotiation goes on into next year after the transition period. Those choices before the summer that will have to be made by the European negotiating team will need Ireland influencing those discussions in a way that protects our own interests. Uh, unfortunately, because I think a lot of people want to move on from Brexit at this stage to talk about other things and prioritise other things, unfortunately we don't have that luxury. Uh, Brexit is going to dominate Irish politics for at least the next 12 months. 
Okay, so let's take a moment to uh, talk a little bit about the smaller parties. Uh, how did they do in this election, and what would their success uh, mean for the formation of government? So there are a range of smaller left-wing parties. There's Solidarity, People Before Profit, whose defining issue is anti-austerity. There's the Social Democrats, and there's Labour, which is a kind of beleaguered uh, party which has really fallen from great heights uh, of the past. It used to be Ireland's third party, um, but it's only won, I think, just under 4%, around something like that, uh, according to the exit poll. And all of those three parties have won something between 3 and 4%. Um, that's really not great for them. It's possible that the wind was sort of sucked out of their sails by the rise of Sinn Féin. Um, however, the extent of the vote for Sinn Féin is going to have weird uh, effects on the on the results because lots of Sinn Féin candidates got way more votes than they actually needed to get elected and when that happens their spare votes are handed down to to the next most popular person that their voters have on their ballots and there might it might be the case that Sinn Féin end up bringing in a whole load of left-wing candidates with them but that remains to be seen the other really important group to know about are the independent politicians they are politicians who run without representing a party they formed 12% of the last parliament and six of them uh, were actually in government with Fine Gael, three of them in ministerial mm. roles. Uh, so they're significant and they often do form important parts of governments. It's notable that this time Fianna Fáil is already reaching out to a selection of independent politicians to see if they might team up. Now, I mean, I think the the role of the youth vote in this referendum is so interesting. Um, the youth vote is an indicator not just of this election, but what elections in the future are going to be, because, you Correct. know, those people are going to grow up. Yeah. Um, uh, Ireland's uh, traditional left-wing party, Irish Labour, as you said, has been in decline uh, for years. So Sinn Féin have been able, I suppose, to step into that role as the country's, you know, main voice of the left. And left-wing politics are particularly appealing to young people in Ireland right now, as we mentioned, uh, because they're struggling to find affordable homes and a lot of them need public services that aren't being funded. Um, both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have become closely associated in young people's minds with private interests, um, especially the interests of property developers. Uh, before the crash, there were some notable corruption scandals uh, in Fianna Fáil on this line, and you know the young voters of today would have grown up just only really hearing about that. And, you know, Fianna Fáil's cavalier attitude to property is one of the reasons why they got so much of the blame uh, for the financial crash. Uh, meanwhile, these days, Fine Gael is often accused of supporting the interests of landlords um, over tenants. Um, mainly, that's uh, a, a dig at their failure to build um, public housing, which has pushed rents up uh, to an all-time high, as we've explored in a previous uh, episode. Uh, but even with all this taken into account, I was I was still amazed at how many people, young people I know, had shifted their support to Sinn Féin, and that included a lot of people who never, I know, would never have voted for that party in the past. Uh, so is there something else going on behind this, do you think? It's a very fascinating result. Uh, essentially, the Irish electorate has become very volatile uh, since the financial crisis. The financial crisis just seems to have... Um, dissolved all the traditional voting patterns in Ireland. Um, I think also what I've noticed in this election is that people were really politicised. I mean, nothing else was being talked about, you know, casually at bus stops or, you know, over dinner. This was people with politics obsessed with this election to, ex to an extent that I hadn't seen before. Um, I would associate this with the two referendums uh, that really 
brought a whole generation into political campaigning and demonstrated that huge change is possible, you know? Uh, like, mm. you can, for young voters that were involved in campaigning for the legalization of abortion or gay marriage, things like having United Ireland or reinventing the health service or massive public housing building, those things don't seem impossible. Um, and it's also really important to understand that the shift in Sinn, to Sinn Féin, it didn't just happen among voters that we traditionally uh, describe as young. So voters consistently showed Sinn Féin throughout the campaign to be far ahead among all groups below the age of 55. Um, so to me, that really reflects how widely the housing crisis has affected different swathes of the Irish population right into the middle classes. I, I think essentially the core Sinn Féin vote, Sinn Féin vote it's, not, it's not quite a youth vote, it's really those in delayed adulthood. So people who are unable to establish themselves with homes and families, who are living in precarity and unable to save because of you know, poor, low workers' rights and, 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 and large rents. You know, if you don't have a stake in the status quo, why not vote for change? Just one other point to make that's really interesting. Um, the political scientist David Farrell, who we've spoken to before, uh, he's said that this election isn't so much a youth surge as the last gasp of the pensioners. Essentially, the hmm. pensioners are the only people keeping Fine, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil in power. Uh, everyone else uh, has voted for Sinn Féin. Right, yeah, that, that is so interesting. And like these just demographics of more young people and fewer old people is, you know, has had such a dramatic effect um, on, on Irish society and politics. Um, there's something else that's really coming out uh, on social media, as I've been scrolling through it today and, and on, on the um, traditional media too, is um, concerns about a rise of populism in the shape of this vote for uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, Desi Ellis, who we heard earlier, um, was filmed today also with a crowd singing along to the Wolf Tone song. Uh, come out E Black and Tans, uh, which we've mentioned before in a half pint. Um, and that's commonly understood as an IRA song, even though it isn't really. But it did, it was enough to get a lot of people's backs up um, on social media. Uh, so, how would you explain, you know, um, people's fears and where is that coming from? It's interesting, it's an interesting one. Um, of course, Come Out You Black and Tans was a little bit of a theme tune of the election because essentially Fine Gael mishandled a commemoration event right at the beginning of the campaign, before the campaign was uh, was underway really, which kind of undermined their patriotic credentials. And the response to it was that Come Out Ye Black and Tans topped the iTunes charts, not just in Ireland, but in the UK and in Australia as well. People can criticize Desi Ellis, but this is clearly a song that has a certain resonance um, in this political moment. What, what to take from it, I don't know. I would not describe that as populism. I think it is Irish nationalism. Populism is a
Um, so our recording was just interrupted there because we got some of the results from Dublin Northwest, um, Desi Ellis's constituency. Uh, he was elected with by far the uh, highest number of votes, uh, far far ahead of the other tra the traditional parties, uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. It's, it's absolutely incredible to hear results like that. And I've just looked up that 96% of the first preference vote votes have now been tallied, and Sinn Féin have won the popular vote nationally. They are on 24%. They are ahead of both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, who are both on 22% with a pretty much equal result. That's an astonishing moment in Irish political history. And I mean, it's very, it makes it very hard to imagine making a government without Sinn Féin. Wow, that is, that is seismic uh, for her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, we were talking about populism, right? Oh, yes. Uh, I, I meant to actually, um, uh, I suppose we should say for the listeners uh, that there might be a, a bit of um, confusion about the definition of what populism means in this context and nationalism yeah. too, which we've talked about before. Uh, can you kind of maybe like um, lay out what we mean when we're talking about populism in Ireland at the moment? I will try. Um, okay, so political <laughs> scientists usually consider populism to be a tactic not a political position as such. So it can be used by both the left and the right. Essentially, populism is when you um, define yourself as the voice of a so-called common man or ordinary Irishman. And you define yourself as against a corrupt elite uh, that that somehow isn't who doesn't represent the common Irishman. So it's this pitting of mm. uh, a kind of an ideal countryman against an elite. That's populism. Now, Irish media sometimes describe Sinn Féin as populist, or they might describe certain policies as populist, but they use it with a different meaning. So what they actually mean when they say populist is they mean kind of playing to the gallery. They mean uh, this mm. is a, sort of a, a stunt to win popular support. That's a rather cynical supporting of whatever policies are popular with the public, even to the extent of being ideologically incoherent. So you might start simultaneously sort of holding both right-wing and left-wing economic policies just because they're both popular with the with the public you know and and it's often used when it when it might not be actually feasible to afford to do both those things so like for example both cut taxes and increase public spending and nationalism yeah so um it's important not to see the rise of Sinn Féin as part of what's been going on internationally with the rise of the nationalist nativist right. Uh, Sinn Féin is not nativist, and nativist meaning that it privileges um, a kind of uh, what it describes as an, an indigenous population against incomers, um, like so Ireland for the Irish, you know, Netherlands for the Dutch, etc. Sinn Féin comes from the Irish tradition of anti-colonial politics. It's left wing. It shuns anti-immigration poli politics. Manifesto had um, proposals to improve the conditions of refugees, for example, in the country, and also to introduce hate crime legislation. So essentially to outlaw hate speech in Ireland, which we, we don't actually have a law against hate speech because it's just kind of, essentially because our, our, leg our laws ha just haven't caught up yet, essentially with that. So supporting hate crime legislation is like a, um, a stance of solidarity with immigrants and with minorities. This is a really uniquely Irish 
um, situation that we're in. And I think you really need to look at Irish demography to understand it. So Ireland is the youngest country in Europe. We're not aging like lots of European countries. So this isn't a this isn't a nativist vote driven by older generations. It's a change vote driven by the young, and it's it's all around a, an inclusive left wing nationalism. Right, and that actually brings us back around to our soon-to-be former Taoiseach, uh, Leo Varadkar, um, who must be pretty upset today. Uh, he was hoping, of course, that his uh, success in the Brexit negotiations, which made him a household name around Europe, uh, would win him a majority in this election. Uh, but it's instead, you know, his, his party has, has really taken a beating. Uh, according to the current exit polls as well, only 1% of voters actually earmarked Brexit as their most important concern. So, so they got that really wrong. Um, you know, what happened with Fine Gael and, and where does this result leave us, uh, uh, Ireland, in terms of Brexit now? So what's really important to understand is that uh, Leo Varadkar has a very different image within Ireland than he does internationally. So internationally he's seen as this sort of telegenic, modern leader, the face of modern Ireland, very successful. Um, you know, he, he is, he's widely seen to have led a quite astonishing victory, you know, for Irish interests in the Brexit negotiations. Within Ireland, his image is different. Um, his personal characteristics, you know, of being a gay man and of being uh, Irish Indian, they aren't front and centre in people's perceptions of him. Uh, rather, he's more associated with Fine Gael's conservative economic policies. So, you know, balancing the budget, cutting spending, reducing taxes. And he's actually taken Fine Gael somewhat to the right. He was a kind of a more right-wing candidate for leadership than, than Fine Gael had, had, had traditionally seen. Um, also, you know, his style and presentation has has kind of borrowed the class war politics of the UK that you get from the uh, the Conservative Party in the UK. For example, he he, he went in for a sort of scapegoating benefit scroungers for a while. He, he set up a hotline for people to report people who were, who were benefit cheats. Uh, that didn't really work out for him. He also said that he was representing people who got up early in the morning, which is a kind of moralistic take, you know, on who deserves success in life. And so mm. he has very different associations in Ireland um, than internationally. Primarily, the issues in this campaign were health, uh, housing, strained public services, as we say, and let's hear the sound of some women who kind of encapsulate this approach, I suppose, to Varadkar. They challenged Leo Varadkar when they saw him out campaigning on the streets in Balancolic in Cork. So we've, and we've, we've school, heard people the say schools is that. a big issue out here. Nobody we have children this year can't even get places in Balancolic. Well, you're building houses, you're building apartments, big offices, no, no schools. Well, there are no there are proposals. Are there are sites being acquired for two schools well, in Ballycolly. One being acquired at the moment. There is no site for the school. There is children. There is children doing assessments down in Gloucester Colour this morning. And there's children that no site. No, it's not acquired yet, but it is. It is an active. It's an active looking. But because Ballycolly is so, everyone's looking to build houses. We can't find a site. So that's what I'm wondering. What's going to be done for that? You're so busy. You're trying to build houses. We're piling people into Ballycolly, and we. We're in a prefab at the bottom of the rugby club. Sorry. There's a load of boys and girls have no school in, sep in yeah, September. I think, I think We're lying to our grandchildren today. Yeah. Maybe we'll come in the post next week. Well, uh, from talking to the, the CEO you know, of DTB, he seems to be quite sensible. the Chinese with yeah. their JCBs. Yeah. They were flying last week. The hospitals, yeah. you should you. get them. Well, no, get the Chinese in. Legoland. Nothing has been done. Well, nothing has been done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we'll have to probably vote for somebody else.
Remember as well that it's hard for Leo Varadkar to take personal credit in the eyes of Irish people for defending um, Ireland's interests in the Brexit negotiations because, of course, Ireland's whole approach was actually set in motion by Enda Kenny as early as 2015 before the referendum had ever been held. That's what's, you know, kind of credited with much of its success, the sheer level of preparation. And a lot of it re relied on the performance of the civil service. There was also cross-party unanimity when it came to Brexit. That really makes it quite hard for Leo Varadkar to, to kind of claim personal credit or a personal success on Brexit. I noticed during the campaign that the foreign minister, Antonista Simon Coveney, was, you know, really very popular. If you speak to people, they kind of say, oh, I'm not sure about Fine Gael, but I like that Coveney fella, you know, he seems all right. <laughs> like a lot of people will say that. Um, and I've mm. picked up in Fine Gael circles that there may well be a leadership challenge to Varadkar by Coveney once the dust settles. Here are two voters I spoke to on polling day who really summed up the election for me. The first is a long-time Fine Gael voter who said she wasn't voting for the party this time for the first time ever because she just felt her salary was no longer stretching far enough. Let's hear from her. Being a Fine Gael voter um, predominantly all my life and uh, this is the first year I didn't put them first. Um, no, my pay packet is, I'm, I'm worse. So it kind of went beyond even money or housing. I think that was actually okay. Well, look, who does the most locally? So it's the first time I, I started looking at things or voting from that perspective right. rather than what the party did for the country. Right. So you just felt that you weren't seeing the benefit of any economic no. growth or anything? Just hidden the cost taxes. of things? Yeah. It's cost of everything. Yeah. It's hidden taxes. Yeah. yeah. Your net pay packet just doesn't stretch as it did, say, 10, 20 years ago. Right. Far from it. Yeah. Yeah. It was a tough one because usually I kind of know what party or somebody I'm going to vote for this. I knew who I certainly didn't want to see in government. And here's a man who really summed up the changing attitudes towards Sinn Féin. He, he essentially said to me, why not? Why not give the party a try? What, what are the major issues? Housing. Housing? How do you explain it? Yeah. Homelessness. So what's going on? What have you seen that's kind it's of... disgrace. Yeah. People lying around all over town. I live in town. Actually, living down the votes out here, but it's absolutely disgusting. It's no, there's no end to it. Yeah. And so that influenced your vote then? Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Do you think we could end up with some fame? You could. Yeah. And why not? What's wrong with them? Yeah. They're people. They want. To, they want to help people. Yeah. They're not out there. They're not murdering people. Yeah. They're not blowing anything up. They're actually. They actually care. Mm -hmm. I'm not a Sinn Féin or another neither. I just came from the independent, mm -hmm. uh, independent politics as a as a as a like so. But there's nothing wrong with those people. But they keep telling us they're no good. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because they don't want change. Mm -hmm. They want they want to keep. They want to keep their power. And there's only two parties. Well, what a day it has been at the end of a very dramatic campaign. Um, there's going to be lots to see in the next few days as the results continue to come in and the coalition's talks are really going to start to get going. Um, but from us, that's all for this special episode of the Irish Passport Podcast. Thanks so much to all of our listeners. And if you want some more bonus content all about the election, you can head along to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash the Irish Passport. Thanks so much for listening. And that's all for me in Dublin at the RDS. Sloan for now. And that's all from me too. Sloan, everyone.